All right. I just want to key in on what Matt just shared. God's doing a work right now. You may not see it. Have you ever um, taken off in an airplane for a trip? And it's, say it's cloudy, it's dark skies, it's, you know, maybe even raining or, but then you get, you break through the clouds and the sun is like bright and shining. Have you ever had that experience before? You know, we live down here under those clouds sometimes and we cannot see the sun that's shining on the other side of the clouds. So I want you to, I want you to be expectant and excited and like Matt said, don't let the distractions keep you from what God's doing on the other side of the clouds, amen? He wants to shine that light. He wants you to walk in alignment. See, when he wants us, we're, you know, this isn't my message, but come on. <laughs> he wants us to walk in alignment. We're spirit, soul, and body. He wants our spirits to be lined up with the spirit of God so that there's open communication. When we get out of alignment and we let our soul lead, our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Things get garbled. The communication is, is kind of like when you're trying to find the station and you're like right in the middle and it's all like shh, staticky, and you just can't hear right. And, and in that moment, there's just all this chaos, all this, this tension inside. But he wants to bring you. We have a choice in that. Are we going to walk and be led by the Spirit? Or are we going to be led by our flesh? our soul. And so even in that, I think this really matches up especially with what we've been talking about in Ephesians because God is a God of order and God works through order. And he wants our spirit to be connected to his spirit. He wants our soul to be um, connected and in submission to our spirit. And he wants our body to be in submission to our soul. Because when those things are out of alignment, you're not only going to see it in your soul and your mind, will, and emotions, but your physical body is going to struggle too. So God wants wholeness for all of you. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. We're continuing on in our series in Ephesians. We're in chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or your digital Bible app, we're going to get there in just a moment. But I believe that God's got a word for you this morning. Not just for the adults, I believe that God has a word for the youth and children here this morning too, and I'll be talking about that in just a moment, but I want to pray God's blessing upon this service. Father, we thank you that your word is already true, it's already accurate, it's already powerful. I just pray, Lord, that I would rightly handle your word, and that you would anoint me, Lord, your vessel, and that you would speak through me, Lord, your word. Bobby Bonner was a professional baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles. And when he became a Christian, he would share his new relationship with Jesus with everyone that he came in contact with. His coach was a man by the name of Earl Weaver. And one day, Weaver told Bonner that he needed to keep Jesus out of the locker room. Bonner replied, I can't do that. I'm a Christian and Jesus is with me wherever I go. Weaver responded, well, he's not coming to Baltimore. Guess what? Weaver was wrong, and Bonner was right. What about you? The question, children that are here this morning, do you bring Jesus with you to school if you attend school? Does your attitude and actions reflect that Jesus goes to work with you?
My prayer this morning as we examine together these five verses in Ephesians chapter 6 is that we'll gain an awareness of what it means to be spirit-led and spirit-filled in the workplace. The Apostle Paul begins the first three verses of Ephesians 6 by addressing how slaves are to respond to their masters. We're going to read the scripture. I encourage you to take out a piece of paper, something to write on, take some notes this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Slaves, as translated in the Greek, doulos, are servants who are devoted to another to the disregard of their own interest. Let me repeat that definition. Slaves are servants who are devoted to another to the disregard of their own interests. And Paul addresses slaves here in his letter to the Ephesian believers because it is estimated that at the time of the first century New Testament church, there were roughly 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Those who were classified as slaves made up 25 to 30 percent of the population. And many of them, as in this case, were believers and would have been present as the contents this morning. We need to be careful of filtering this text through our modern understanding of slavery. See, slave culture was more like indentured servanthood. In those situations, an, an individual entered into a contract by their own free will in order to repay an indenture or a loan within a set period of time. So when you and I see the word slave in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we cringe, right? We think of 17th, 18th, and 19th century slavery, race-based, African, understanding correctly what the Bible is teaching. In first century Greco-Roman culture, number one, many of the slaves were just like everyone else. They looked and lived like everyone else and were not segregated from the rest of society. Number two, slaves in many situations were more educated than their owners and they held high-level positions. Some were doctors and teachers and so on. Number three, from a financial standpoint, slaves made the same wages as non-slaves and as a result weren't usually poor and often saved enough money to buy themselves out of slavery at a certain point. Number four, very few people were slaves for life in the first century. Most expected to be released from slavery after about 10 years, and usually no later than 30 years of age. In contrast, modern day 17th, 18th, and 19th century slavery is race-based, and it was slavery for life. Also, the African slave trade was started and maintained through kidnapping. 
which the Bible strongly condemns. Therefore, while the early Christians, like Paul, discouraged first century slavery, saying to slaves, if you can get a chance to be free, then do so, he didn't go on a campaign to end it. However, 18th and 19th century Christians, when faced with the evils of modern-day forms of slavery, did work to abolish it because it could not be rationalized in any way within biblical teaching. So I share all this in context with you so that somebody, if somebody comes to you and points to a scripture like Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and says, see, Jesus condones slavery, you can look back at them and share what I just shared with you and said, no, he doesn't. So hopefully a proper interpretation of this text helps take the sting out of the word slave and master as you read it. In 21st century America, we do not call who Paul was addressing that day as slaves and masters. We don't call them that. We call them bosses and employees. We call them employees and employers. For those of you who are attending school or college, maybe you call them teacher or professor. So when I say the words employer or boss in my message today, if you are a young person this morning, I want you to substitute the word teacher or professor. So Paul begins by writing in verse 5, slaves, employees, students, obey your earthly masters, employers, bosses, or teachers. To obey is to carry out the word and will of another person, especially the will of God. Or in this context, do what your boss asks you to do in a timely manner and with a good attitude. It's that simple. That doesn't mean that we can't offer our boss, our teachers, our professors suggestions, advice, that we can't propose better ways of doing things. But when our boss makes the final decision, we need to cooperate even if we don't like that, that decision. In fact, the only time we have the freedom to do something that's immoral, in those times, you can stand on your convictions as a Christian and say, you know what, I'm not doing that no matter the consequences. But I want you to keep, you, keep in mind, those situations are usually far, you know, they're mostly few and far between. As Christians, we are to live and respond differently from the world. We should even be better employees than those who are of this world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes in this epistle, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So why do we obey? Why do we work hard? Why do we give our best effort? Because we're doing it as unto the Lord. And our reward comes from Him. So what does this Jesus-centered obedience look like according to this passage? Paul gives us three descriptions of what it looks like and one negative description of what it should not look like. 
So first, he says, Christian employees are called to obey their bosses respectfully, with fear and trembling. However, this fear and trembling is not because your boss is mean or scary, or maybe it is, <laughs> but because you represent Jesus and, it, and what it means to be a Christian at your job. You want to do a good work. You want to do good work. You want to do a good job because whether your boss is a believer or not, they will see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. That should be your motivation for why you do good work. Second, we must obey sincerely. Paul says with sincerity of heart, meaning without self-seeking. The bottom line is that whether you like your boss or not, whether your boss notices how hard you work or not, you are to give your best effort. Because sooner or later, someone will notice that you don't stand around and do nothing, even when there's really nothing to do. You find something to do. It's like my wife Lisa um, says to her employees at the cafe, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. Third, we must obey willingly as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Once there was these three stonemasons who were working on a church building, and each man was asked what he was doing, and the first one said, I'm laying bricks. The second man was asked what he was doing, and he said, I'm earning a paycheck. And the third worker looked up towards heaven and answered, I'm building a place where believers can come together and worship God. See, only one of the men saw the big picture and understood the true significance of his work. If all that motivates you at work is your paycheck, then you've missed the point. Your job is an opportunity for you to live your love for Jesus in a visible way for all to see. And this brings us to Paul's negative description of what our obedience should not be like. He says in verse 6, our obedience should not be by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Paul is saying that the Christian employee does their job in the presence of Jesus rather than being motivated by the presence of cameras, supervisors, or bosses in the workplace. This reminds me of a meme I saw posted online. It read, to all employees, due to increased competition and a desire to stay in business, we find it necessary to institute a new policy. We are asking that somewhere between starting and quitting time, and without infringing too much on the time usually devoted to lunch periods, coffee breaks, rest periods, checking your social media accounts, responding to text message, vacation planning, or rehashing last night's game, that each employee endeavor to find some time that can be set aside and known as the work break. <laughs> Lisa will have employees that are like always in the bathroom and they're in there for a long time. I'm like, man, their stomach must be really upset. They're texting and snapping. And According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average American works 8.8 .8 hours every day. 
Yet a study of nearly 2,000 full-time office workers revealed that most people aren't working for most of the time that they're at work. The average worker is only productive two hours and 53 minutes out of that 8.8 hours. The most popular unproductive activities listed were reading news websites, one hour and five minutes. Checking social media, 44 minutes. Discussing non-work related things with coworkers, 40 minutes. Searching for other jobs, 26 minutes. Taking smoke breaks, 23 minutes. Making calls to spouses or friends, 18 minutes. Making coffee, 17 minutes. Texting or instant messaging, 14 minutes. Eating snacks, 8 minutes. And making food in the microwave, 7 minutes. Wow. So again, in our text, Paul's saying that as Christian employees, we should work just as hard when our boss is not around as when they are. He's also saying that if we work hard when our boss is around and slack off when they're not, then it's obvious who we're trying to please. We're being people pleasers. We're just giving eye service. We're working as if the most important set of eyes watching us is our earthly master instead of our heavenly master. So Paul finishes his remarks to employees in verse 8 by state, stating that we should obey our boss knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. What a benefit. What a perk. It would have been enough for God to say, respect your boss. View your work as worship, period. But instead he says, I'm going to reward you far beyond your salary package. I'm going to reward you far beyond your health benefits and your 401k. You may not be recognized or noticed for how hard you work by your boss, but I'm your bigger boss, and I'm keeping record, and I will reward you. Friends, we need to trust Jesus to take care of us. In verse 9, Paul turns his attention to employers or bosses. And I know that we have some here, or maybe you're a supervisor. It says, Master, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality Most of us think that in the boss-employee relationship, it's only the employee who has to answer to the boss. And this scripture said that's wrong. Employees, according to Ephesians 6.5, are to obey their bosses with what? Fear and trembling and with sincerity of heart, right? But look at what he says here in verse 9. It says, bosses, do the same to your employees and stop your threatening. See, Paul calls on bosses to treat their employees the same way that employees are to treat them. He's saying, treat those who are under you with respect. Treat them with respect. Respect those that are under you. Care for those who are under your care. Because you too will receive back from the Lord the same rewards. So I ask you this morning, even if you're not an employer or boss, how do you treat those who work under you? 
Do they see Jesus in you? Do they look forward to being around you? Sense that you value them? Do they even know that you're a Christian? So Paul finishes this portion of his loath, their master in yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. No partiality with God. That means he won't show favoritism. He won't be easier on you because of your title or position. When judgment day comes, God is not going to address you any differently. Individuals on this side of heaven may look up to you and be in awe of your power and your prestige and your title, but to, to God there's no favoritism. He's going to treat us all the same. He's going to ask you, how well did you treat those who worked under you? So here's the application for us this morning. And I'm sure that as I've been talking, you've already been thinking about your own work or how your relationship is and how you respond to, you, to those who are superior or, or in um, authority positions above you. You know that boring job you have? You know that boss that drives you crazy? You are to work for them as Jesus would. That boring class you're taking, you're to study hard and turn in your best work. No, Brian, that Ford Madison's not a theater, but a soccer team. Brian said, my teacher came to me and he's like, she's like, Ford Madison, why are you talking about soccer when this paper, I thought you were referring to a theater. And he's like, It's a soccer team, not a theater. But you treat them as Jesus would. But Lance, you don't know my situation. Maybe. But I want to take you back this morning to Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. And I do know this, that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you possess the riches of his glorious inheritance. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from dead, from the, um, from the grave, resides in you. Friends, that's your situation. That's your situation. Now, how are you going to live and work in response to that? Remember, Ephesians 1 through 3 was all about who we are in Christ. Ephesians 4 through 6 is how we are to live that out, that new identity, that new life out, in practical ways, within relationship structures, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, and as employees and employers. Let's stand this morning. Jesus expects our work to be different because of who we are. Those of you in this room should be the best employees, the best bosses, the best employers, because of your relationship with Christ. It should have transformed you. People should see Jesus living within you and through your actions.
young people, your teachers should see that your work that you turn in is different. That you've given your best effort, that you've worked your hardest. The customer service that you give should be top-notch and should be representative of Jesus' love and concern for people. The compassion that you show to others should be different because of the compassion that Jesus has shown to you. Whatever you do, wherever you work, work unto me because I'm keeping record and I'm your heavenly master, I'm your boss, and I will reward you. I will reward you. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through a time right now in the workplace. I'm always amazed by how I'll be going through something and God's word will just speak to my situation in that moment. And maybe that's true for you here this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you're standing and you're thinking, wow, Lance, I feel like you're preaching right at me this morning. It's almost like you know my situation. Maybe you're at home right now and you're watching or wherever you're at, maybe you're in the car and you're like, wow, I needed that. Maybe you have a situation right now in the workplace where, man, you just want to get back at that person. Your boss is driving you crazy. They're not showing you the respect. They're not paying you what you're worth. You know, whatever it is. And God is just bringing you into alignment right now. You're, you're thinking to alignment. And he's just speaking to you right now and saying, but I see and I will reward you just trust me just trust me just be faithful where you're at just be faithful just keep serving me your gift will make a way for you your gift will make a way for you If that's you this morning, just so that we can pray with you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, I need prayer in my relationship with my boss or teacher, professor, in this hard situation I'm in. I could use a little extra prayer right now. Just raise your hand with me. Father, you see those hands this morning. You know the situation. You're aware. These are men and women of God, Lord, who have given their lives to you, Lord. They're seeking to serve you faithfully. I pray that you would empower them with that resurrection power. To do what's right. Even to serve their bosses, their teachers, their professors faithfully, 
knowing that ultimately they're not serving them, but they're serving you. And Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom in how to handle their situation because they're all unique. And I pray that whatever they do, they would do it with honor, that they would show honor and sincerity of heart, respect to those above them. And I pray for those who are bosses, employers, teachers or professors here today Lord that they would care for those that are under them with the same care that you've showed them with the same compassion that you've showed them may together Lord we be the best employees employers students that we can be because of who we serve in Jesus name a few weeks ago God just gave me a word for John and I shared it with him not knowing any situations or anything that he's going through that God was promoting him who was getting ready to promote him from being a manager to an owner and I didn't know if that meant spiritually at work where, what, what that all meant and I, I'm not going to share the, the details and John's like Phew. <laughs> but it's resonated and we've had some talks, and it's been awesome how you've walked through and you've honored the Lord and you've applied all these principles here in Ephesians 6. So I'm just excited for what God has for you, and I just want you to pray in faith, believing for yourself and believing for all of us that God's going to turn all things together for good in the workplace. And before I do that, I just feel the need to comment and thank Lance for the message today. Those of you that were here last week, I was glad you stopped before verse 6. Or before verse 5, because I didn't know where we were going to go with that. And so uh, today actually really opened my eyes in, in, a, in a new way. And, and the word was very well received. So thank you. So uh, I'd ask those, uh, everyone just to bow your heads and, and pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message today. We thank you. In this place. Father, we pray that as we go out into the workplace this week, that you continue to speak to us and show us our ministry in the workplace, whether we're an employee or an employer, whether we're a leader or a servant, whether we're a student or a teacher. Father, our goal is to honor you with whatever uh, that calling is. For those of us that are in a place where we feel like struggling in the workplace, uh, we pray your presence and your, your uh, guidance and your humility in, um, in helping us to serve you, not serve the master, but serve you with where we are, and to be still and to know that if we're not being promoted or we're not where we think we want to be, that we're where you've called us to be. Father, I'm so thankful for this church, I'm so thankful for the leaders, today. I would ask that you continue to bless this day. Uh, if it's your will, bless the Badgers this afternoon. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.